Well, greetings to all of you. Thank you for joining us today at Whitbank Baptist Church. Thank you for giving us this opportunity to share the word of God with you. Would you please take your Bible and turn to 1 John chapter 5 and we will be reading from verses 1 to the first half of 4. And I have titled the sermon, You are not a Christian if you hate your fellow believer. You are not a Christian if you hate your fellow believer. Let us pray. Father, we thank you once more for this opportunity, an opportunity that, we, that I cherish to share the word of God, your word, with those that are watching today. May these words be convicting to those that need to be convicted. May these words be comforting to those that need to be comforted. And may these words strengthen those that need to be strengthened. Father, I ask that you open our eyes, that today we may see your word, that you may please open our ears, that we may hear your word, that you please open our minds, that we may understand your word, and that you please open our hearts, that we may receive your word. All to your glory. May those that are listening today, may those that are watching today, hear you and not me. To your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The main point of this sermon, or the main proposition of this sermon, is that disobedience of God and hatred of fellow believer is a mark of a non-Christian. Disobedience of God and a hatred of a fellow believer is a mark of a non-Christian. It is what describes a non-Christian. It is the character that you would expect from a non-Christian. First, before we dive into our passage, let us look at the reason why John wrote this letter. As this will help us to understand and help us to get the point that John was trying to convey with this letter. Now, the community that John was writing to was facing a very serious threat to their faith. There are those who were once part of this Christian community that John was ministering to as an apostle. These people were once part of this community. And then they had since left. And the reason why they left is because they held on to contradictory beliefs. They since developed beliefs that were contradictory to what John and the other apostles were teaching. And as a result, they left this Christian community that John was ministering to. We will call these people that had left the secessionists as Pilar calls them. Now, these secessionists, or these people that had left, that were holding on to these foreign beliefs or contradictory beliefs, actually, one of their beliefs, or some of their beliefs, and I'll mention two here, some of their beliefs included that they denied that Jesus was the Messiah. They denied that Jesus was the Son of God. They denied that Jesus actually came in the flesh. They also denied that the death of Jesus Christ on the cross was necessary for the forgiveness of sins. As you can see, 
the beliefs of these people were completely at the core contradictory to Christian belief. Their beliefs were obviously false and this led them to leave the community. But unfortunately, they didn't stay where they were. Although they had left, they made every effort to continue to preach these falsehoods to the Christian community. To the point where they started to create a huge confusion among the Christian community. They started to create a huge doubt amongst the Christian community. These false teachers claimed that with these false beliefs, they were the ones who had eternal life. They were the ones who had the truth, while the Christian community did not. Therefore, John decided to write this letter to reassure the Christian community that they are the ones who have eternal life and not these false teachers and also to give them a criteria that they can use to test the teachings of these false teachers, to test if these teachings were true or not. But not only that, to also use the same criteria to test themselves whether they were true Christians or not. So the criteria was working twofold. Firstly, it was to test the teachings of the, of the false teachers, but also it was to test the Christians themselves to make sure that they were actually Christians. So 1 John is a very important letter for all of us to test whether we are truly Christians. And then John gives criteria after criteria after criteria in the letter so that we can use these to test ourselves and to test those who claim to be teaching the word of God. As I said, turn once more with me to 1 John chapter 5 from verse 1 to 4. And let us read the passage. And the passage reads, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know that, the love, that we love the children of God. When we love God, and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. Just to repeat the main point of the sermon, or the main proposition of the sermon, the main proposition or the main point of the sermon, once again, is that Disobedience of God and hatred of fellow believer is a mark, a character of a non-Christian. It is what we can expect from a non-Christian. I have divided this sermon into three main points. Namely, the first one, a true Christian believes Jesus is Christ. Secondly, a true Christian loves fellow Christians. Thirdly, a true Christian has the ability to obey God. Let us take a look at our first point there. A true Christian believes Jesus is Christ. A true Christian believes that Jesus is Christ. Take your Bible then and turn with me to 1 John chapter 5 and we will read the first half of the first verse. And it reads, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. The important thing to note in this verse 
is the tense of the participle believes and the verb has been born. It is very important because it will determine which one of the two came first. Does a Christian Does a Christian first believe and then be born of God? Or does a Christian get born of God and then believe? The participle believes, translated here as believes, is in the present tense. And the verb has been born is in the perfect tense. The perfect tense in the Greek refers to something that took place in the past with the result of that something still ongoing in the present. Therefore, sometimes in the past, a Christian is born of God, and that state of new birth continues from that point onward until in the present. The present tense refers to something that is taking place now and is continuous. Therefore, the action of believing in Jesus Christ by the Christian is something happening in the present and it continues in that way. So therefore, based on this, based on the fact that the participle is in the perfect tense and the belief verb is in the present tense, we can clearly see that a Christian is born of God first and then as a result of that, they then believe in Jesus Christ. The new birth has to take place first, before a Christian can believe in Jesus Christ. Our faith did not result in God giving us new birth, but because God gave us new birth, we began to believe. No new birth, no faith. What is new birth? What do we mean when we talk about new birth? Turn with me to John chapter 3, verse 3. And then it reads, John chapter 3, verse 3. It reads, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, this is a conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus Christ. And this was Jesus' reply in the discussion that they had with Nicodemus. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus indicates in this verse that to see the kingdom of God, one has to be born again. The word again means that the source of being born comes from above. To be born again, therefore, means to be given new birth from above. To be given new birth by God. With that in mind, Let's turn to Ezekiel chapter 6 in the Old Testament. Ezekiel chapter 6, verses 24, and we will read up to verses 27. And it will help us to understand how this process of new birth actually takes place in a believer. And let us read. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statute and be careful to obey my rules. Now, take note of all the eyes in this verse. 
You see the eye in verse 24. I will take you from the nations. You see the eye in verse 25. I will sprinkle you clean water. You see the eye still in 25. I will cleanse you in 26. I will give you a new heart. I will put my, my spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone. And I will put my spirit. All these eyes refer to God. It is God who does all of this. Ezekiel tells us that God washes us from our sins and washes us clean. God then removes our heart of stone that rejects God, that refuses to believe in Jesus, and replaces that with a new heart of flesh. Then God puts his spirit in us. Then God causes us to obey. This is new bed, and as you can see, we have no part to play in it. And as you can also see, we are not referring to physical bed, but we are referring to spiritual bed. We play no part. Hence, John says, Those who believe that Jesus is Christ has been born of God. They believe comes because God has given us new birth, because God has cleansed us, because God has removed the heart of stone that refuses to believe that Jesus is Christ and gave us a new heart that acknowledges, that wants to believe, that believes that Jesus is Christ. And he gives us his spirit and he causes us to obey. Our ability to repent and have faith in Jesus is a gift from God. Our ability to repent and have faith in Jesus Christ is a gift from God. Philippians 1.29 tells us that faith is a gift. 2 Timothy 2, chapter 2, verse 25 tells us also that repentance is a gift. Now let's come back to our passage. Now that we know what new birth is, we can understand our verse better. For example, we understand why then John puts belief after the new birth. Because it is only through new birth that we can believe. John is telling us that everyone, and everyone means everyone, means all people, means every single person. John is telling us that every single person who believes in Jesus, who trusts in Jesus, who has faith in Jesus, has been born of God. Remember that the secessionists, those guys that were part of the Christian community and developed these contradictory false teachings, remember that they denied that Jesus is Christ? And they were claiming that they were the ones who are Christians, even though they denied that Jesus is Christ. And they were causing confusion among the true Christians. Remember those guys. Therefore, with this statement that everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, John is making clear to his fellow Christians that because the secessionists denied that Jesus is Christ, they are the ones who are not Christians because they have not been born of God. No one who has been born of God can deny that Jesus is Christ. Now, since the secessionists denied this, that means they were not born of God. They did not receive new birth from God. And therefore, unfortunately for them, they are not Christians. This does not only apply to the secessionists, but John says it applies to every single human being who denies that Jesus is Christ, who denies that Jesus is the promised Messiah, who denies that Jesus is the Son of God, who denies that Jesus died on the cross on our behalf. Every single person who denies that has not been born of God and therefore is not a child of God and therefore they are not Christians. If you deny this, 
I'm talking to you now watching this. If you deny that Jesus is the Christ, if you deny that Jesus is the Messiah, if you deny that Jesus is God, if is the Son of God, if you deny that Jesus died on the cross on our behalf and that his death was necessary for our forgiveness, you are not a Christian. I know that this is harsh. I know this might sound very harsh. But John had to give his Christian community this criteria because they were being confused by those that were telling them that they are not Christians. So John had to reassure the Christian community. Now this was one thing that the Christian community could say then to these false teachers, listen, you deny that Jesus is Christ. You deny the Son of God. So therefore, you are the ones who are not Christians. You are the ones who are not born of God. You are not children of God. If you keep on denying this. We are as the Christian community because we believe that Jesus is the Christ. We believe that Jesus is the Son of God. So that was the first criteria in this passage of ours. That John gave to the Christian community. That John is giving you today. If someone knocks at your door and they say they want to preach to you the word of God and they say they've got the truth, but they deny that Jesus is Christ. They deny that Jesus is the Son of God. They deny that Jesus is God. They deny that Jesus had to die on the cross for us. Those are not Christians, those do not have the truth. Do not listen to them. Instead, preach to them. Because they are the ones who need the gospel. We know there are people that will come to our doors with pamphlets and telling us this and telling us that. If they deny Jesus Christ is the Messiah, if they deny that Jesus is God, if they deny that he's the Messiah, if they deny that he died on the cross, if they deny that he came in the flesh, then they don't have the truth. And they are not Christians. And they have not been born of God, and therefore, they are not children of God. And you must turn around and preach the gospel to them. Let us look at our, sec our, our second main point. And it reads, a true Christian loves fellow Christians. A true Christian loves fellow Christians. Turn with me to, to 1 John chapter 5, and we will read from the second half of verse 1 to the first half of verse 3. And it reads, 1 John chapter 5, first half, Second half of verse 1 to the first half of verse 3. And it reads, And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. John indicates in the second half of verse 1 that every single human being who claims to love God also loves those who have been born of God. We know from the first part of verse 1 that those who are born of God are those who believe that Jesus is Christ, is the promised Messiah, is the Son of God, who died on the cross on our behalf. Therefore, we know that those who are born of God, who are children of God, are Christians. So John is saying that if anyone claims to love God, then it follows that they love other Christians. You cannot love God and hate other Christians. 
even one, you simply cannot love God and then hate even one Christian. Love for God goes hand in glove with love for other Christians. It does not matter who's, who those Christians are. It does not matter what race they are. It does not matter what tribe they are. It does not matter what ethnicity they are. It does not matter what language they are. And it does not matter what gender they are. If you claim to love God, you will love every single one of them as well as Christians. And by gender, just to make this very clear, by gender, I mean male or female as described in the book of Genesis and not as the world defines it. If you claim to love God, you will love every single Christian, no matter who they are and where they come from. It does not matter whether they are poor or whether they are rich. If you claim to love God, you will love them as well because they are Christians. If you do not love even a single Christian, no matter who they are, then you are a liar if you claim to love God. John addressed this very, very point in chapter 4. In fact, turn with me to 1 John chapter 4 and let's read from verse 19 to 21. 1 John chapter 4 verse 19 to 21 and it reads we love because he first loved us he in this verse refers to god so we love because god first loved us if anyone says i love god and hates his brother and brother here refers to a christian a fellow believer if anyone says i love god and hates his fellow believer he's a liar so you see, it's not my words. Why? For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this is the commandment we have from God, from him, God. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. John indicates why we love in general. The reason why we love is because in this, I'm talking about in this verse, John indicates the reason why we love. And the reason is because God loved us first. The love that God has given us gives us the ability to love. And anyone who has the ability to love from God and hates his fellow Christian but claim to love God. That person is a liar. They are lying if they claim to love God. John says you cannot love God whom you cannot see. And then hate a fellow believer, a fellow Christian whom you can see. John says you cannot love God whom you cannot see. And then hate a fellow Christian whom you can see. Then John makes it very clear that if you love God, you must love your fellow Christian. And this is not optional. It is a commandment. Underline the word must in this verse. It is not an option. If you love God, you must love your fellow believer. Now let's go back to our passage. This is the reason why John says, if you claim to love God, you will love those who God has given new birth. That is, you will love your fellow Christians. This is not optional. And it reads, look at that verse, look at this verse. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. Brothers and sisters, this cannot be separated. You love God, you love every single Christian. You hate even one Christian, you don't love God. But then you ask, how do I know? 
How do I know then that I love my fellow Christians? I'm glad you ask. Because John gives us this answer in verse 2. John says, this is how you know as a Christian, if you love your fellow Christian. One, you know that you love your fellow Christian if you love God. Two, if you obey God. When you love and obey God, you will love your fellow Christian. You cannot love and obey God and then hate your fellow Christian. The two do not go together. You cannot love fellow Christians if you do not love and obey God. You mean, if I love and obey God, then I love my fellow Christians? Yes. Why is that? I am glad you ask. John says in the first part of verse 3 that, the reason why he says that loving and obeying God results in love for fellow Christians is because to love God means to obey his commandments. You say, I still don't understand. Okay, let us look at it this way. John says to love God means to obey his commandments. Okay, he says to love God means to obey his commandments. Now, since God commanded us to love our fellow Christians, it therefore means that obeying the command to love your fellow Christians is to love God. Therefore, if you love and obey God, then it follows that you will love your fellow Christians. God commanded us to love our fellow Christians. To love God is to obey God's command. And that command is to love fellow Christians. So therefore, if you obey God and love God, it means you love fellow Christians. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 11, don't turn there, I'll just read it for you. I'll just mention it. There, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 11, John says, because God has loved us, we are under obligation to love one another. We owe it to each other. We are indebted to each other to love one another because God is love. Let this sink in. Because God has loved us, we owe our fellow Christians, we are indebted to them to love them. We are not doing them a favor. We are paying a debt that we owe them by loving them. Think about that. Let that sink. Because for some reason, we have the... I, I know I have this. This attitude that we we, 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 we... we love because we do people a favor. This sinful attitude that we love because we, you know, you, you don't actually deserve my love. I'm just loving you and you need to be thankful for that. In fact, we demand that people are thankful that we love them. But that's not what the Bible teaches. In fact, the Bible teaches us that we owe those people a debt. We owe them to love them. So actually, loving their uh, fellow Christians, it is not doing them a favor. It is paying back what we owe them, what we are obliged to pay them. You are not doing anyone a favor when you love them. You are paying your debt and you better pay back. You owe them. You owe them because God loved you. Because God loved you. You owe your fellow Christian love. And you must pay back. You are obligated to pay back. You are not doing them a favor. You must love them. Because you owe them that love because God loved you. John says also in 1 John chapter 4 verse 8 that anyone 
who does not love, does not know God, does not have a relationship with God, because God is love. My fellow Christians, failing to love our fellow Christian disqualifies us as Christians. So in summary, if you claim to love God, then you are under obligation to love every single one of your fellow Christians. You owe every single one of your fellow Christians all over the world, whether they are white, whether they are black, whether they are from this gender, whether they are from this tribe, whether they are from this ethnicity, you owe them love. You are not doing them a favor. You are indebted to them. You have no choice but to pay back that love that God has loved you with. So, if you were not aware today that you owe other Christians to love them, you know. Now you know. Now you know. Yes, do you mean even that, yes, that guy? Do you mean even that lady? Yes, that lady, especially that lady. You are going to love her because you owe her. But you have never seen how she is. It matters not. But you don't know what he did to me. It matters not. You owe them love. It matters not what they did to you. It matters not what they didn't do to you. You owe them that love. Nothing can pay that love except for you to love them. You can't replace. You can't say, okay, I will give them that and that instead of loving them. No. The only thing that can repay the love that God has given you as a Christian is to love your fellow Christian no matter what. Yeah, but it makes me angry. So what? Deal with it. Love them. Yeah, but did you see they took my things? Oh yeah, okay, fine. Love them. Doesn't matter what you do. Love them. Yeah, but you don't understand. I don't have to understand. Love them. Why? You owe them. And until that debt is paid, you will continue to love them. But when is that debt going to be paid? I don't know. God says you must love them. You owe them. For as long as God says you owe them, then that debt stands. You, love, you, you will love them. Because you owe them. Oh yes, even that one. Yes, even that, the one you are thinking about now, that very same person, love them. You owe it to them. You owe it to them. Why? Because God has loved you. And because if you don't love them, then you are not born of God. Then you are not obedient to God. Then you are not loving to God. You see the implications of refusing to love your fellow Christians? That renders you a non-Christian. That renders you outside God's family. But if you claim to be inside God's family, if you claim to love God, if you claim to be loved by God, if you claim to have been born of God, if you claim to obey God, then you will love your fellow Christians because you owe them that love. Let us take a look at our third and last point. And it reads, A true Christian has the ability to obey God. A true Christian has the ability to obey God. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 5 and we will read the second part of verse 3 including the first part of verse 4. And it reads, and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. If you were thinking that John 
that, that what John is saying is impossible. If you said, no way, it can't be, there is no way that John can expect me to love every single Christian, including that guy, including that lady. Then I've got bad news for you. You cannot possibly love every single Christian. I've got news for you. You have to think twice because John says you can. John says you can love every single Christian in the world. He says you can. You might say it's impossible, but John says you can. John says you can because God's commandments are not burdensome. This means that they are not the source of difficulty or trouble. They are not heavy to bear. To bear. They are not difficult to obey. They are not. You then say, no way. I say, yes way. They are not. That's what John says. John says they are not. John, you don't know what you're talking about. You cannot say that. I mean, you are an apostle. And maybe you can love every Christian, but I cannot. Have you met my fellow Christians? Those people cannot be loved. It's only by God's grace I have not lost it by now. This is what you might be saying. Have you been to my church, John? Have you seen the kind of Christians I have to live with? I don't know what is restraining me, but sometimes I want to do things. They make me so angry. They are impossible to love. Then John says to you, then you are not a Christian. If this is how you feel, if this is what you say, then you are not a Christian. And you say, why? And John says, it is because everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is how Pilar explains overcoming the world. And it says, those who have been born of God have overcome the worldly tendency to satisfy their own sinful cravings. And as a result, they are free to show love to others and so fulfill God's command. The thing that is standing in your way, my brother or sister, the thing that is standing in your way of loving your fellow Christians, even those that make you angry, even those in your church, even that one you are thinking about now, thinking you can't love them, the reason why you cannot love them is because of your own sinful desires. Your sinful desires are keeping you too busy to love other Christians and to obey God. Deal with your sinful desires and you will be free to love your fellow Christians and to obey God. You have not overcome the world. If you are in that state of finding it so difficult to love other fellow Christians. You have not overcome the world. But the world has overcome you. John chapter 4 verse 4 says. Says love of the world. In fact I think this is James. Says love of the world makes you an enemy with God. God's commandment to love every single Christian is not difficult. You are making it difficult because of your own sinful desires. My brothers and sisters, this is the criteria that John gave to his Christian community. Remember the first one was to test by checking if the person denies or believes that Jesus is Christ, Jesus is the Son of God, Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus had to die on the cross for the, our forgiveness. The second one is about love. If you have been born of God as a Christian, 
if you love God, if you obey God, then it follows that it is a must that you must love your fellow Christian. You must love every single Christian. Why? Because you owe them. You owe them to love 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 them because God loves you. If you stop loving them, then God does not love you. And remember, you have the ability. You have the ability because God, when he changed your heart and gave you a heart of flesh and poured his spirit in you, he also gave you the ability to obey him. He gave you that ability. And on top of giving you that ability, his commandments are not difficult. What makes them difficult is our own sinful desires that take priority over obeying and loving God. We have no excuse. We have no justification whatsoever for not loving our fellow Christians. It doesn't matter what race they are. It doesn't matter what tribe, what ethnicity, whether rich or poor, male or female, we must love our fellow Christians because we owe them. We are not doing them a favor. We actually owe them that love because God loved us. We owe them. If you did not know that you owe your fellow believer to love them, if you did not know that you are obliged to love them, today you know. And if you have not been doing this, you need to repent. I need to repent right now. There is no reason. I don't even want to hear it. There is no reason why you cannot love your fellow believer. If you say to me that it's because they've done this to you, think about what you do to God on a daily basis. And he still loves you. And God says, because I love you, you owe it to your fellow Christian to love them. God loved us while we were sinners. He died for us on the cross while we were enemies. And he continues to love us despite continuously sinning against him. I know I do. Every day. But God continues to give me love. Therefore, there is nothing that you can say. There's nothing that I can say that will justify not loving a fellow Christian. You owe it to them. I owe it to them. We owe it to one another. And John says, if you find it difficult, if you refuse to love your fellow Christians, then you are not born of God. Then you are not a Christian. You need to repent and ask God for mercy. You need to repent and ask God to give you a heart of flesh, to wash your sins, to give you his spirit, to give you the ability to obey him because you're not a Christian. You still need, need new birth. Repent for the forgiveness of your sins. In conclusion, I have discussed three points in this sermon. A true Christian believes Jesus is Christ. A true Christian loves fellow Christians. A true Christian has the ability to obey God. I pray that this message finds an already God-prepared heart in, your, in you and bears fruit. Let us pray. Father, what a difficult message this today is. Difficult because we have to get past our sinful desires to be able to love our fellow Christians. 
difficult because it convicts us, difficult because it, it brings us to a realization that we do not do others a favor by loving them. That we must love them because you love us. We must love them if we obey you. We must love them because you have given birth to us. You have given us the ability to love them. I pray that you help us to show that we are loved by you by loving our fellow Christians. To show that we have been born of you by loving our fellow Christians. Help all of us to understand and to accept and to be convicted and to repent. In Jesus' name I pray.